I'm Zoe Rosenberg. And I'm Asat Sarkat. And you're listening to The Appeal, The Curb Podcast. So today, the day after a momentous election, which I think is a, a diplomatic and generous adjective to use to describe everything that's happened in the last bit of time. Indeed. <laughs> um, we've decided to have our final episode of this season of The Curbed Appeal be about American history. Today's guest is Greg Young, and Greg is one half of the Bowery Boys, which is not the 19th century street gang. It is the podcast about New York City history. Greg has joined us to talk about places in New York where major moments of U.S. presidential history have played out. So stay tuned. Hello. Hello. How Super are you? Super happy to have you here. Yeah, thanks for uh, the invite. I'm glad. Sorry we couldn't both be here, but Tom was, like, Tom's a little, he's out of town today, and he's, again, he's then he's editing the, sh- the show, which is coming out t- tomorrow night, so. <clears throat> and what's this one on? Um <clears throat> This is on Edwin Booth and the Players Club, uh, so south of Gramercy Park. So it's a, it's a, it's the story of this world famous actor of the late nineteenth century, whose brother just happened to be John Wilkes Booth, who assassinated. Abraham Lincoln. So um, in the late eighteen eighties, he opened this social club, basically for actors, because actors were not respected Mm -hmm. in that Mm -hmm. period of time. Um, But he was. So he basically sort of like endowed his own esteem into this club by inviting other sort of famous men. It was a men's club until 1989. So, but it was like, you know, it isn't was, everything. Honestly, <laughs> we're still, isn't everything a men's club? Let's just go ahead and yeah. say it. it is. It is definitely. <laughs> but by the nineteen, yeah, by the nineteen eighty nine, they were they had women in it. But anyway, so it was like Mark Twain, sort of like rubbing shoulders with actors of the day. But you also had uh, great designers and just patrons of the arts. So anyway, um, it's sort of the story of his life and that building in particular. And the best part is we actually got a sort of private tour of the building and um, got to see the room where Edwin Booth died, which is perfectly preserved. Like they they just lock the door. How did he die? (laughs) Oh, he was just – it was – Old age. I mean, oh, he, nothing he was, dramatic. No, no, oh, whatever. No, 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 no. I was actually. disappointed. I am. I'm no, honestly no, no. disappointed. <laughs> no, he, because um, he was a traveling actor, and traveling actors in like the 1880s, you're not, you know, you don't have like limousines back then. So to grow cr- across the country. So he just w- was weary. And mm. so he expired on the third floor of this particular building, and it's exactly preserved, including. Um, on the shelf is a skull that he used for Hamlet. Oh, that's that's dark. And that's sc- dark. Oh, oh, you want darker? How about this? The skull is of a man that Edwin Booth met in jail, who was a, and who was on his way to the gallows to did die. He, did he bequeath his skull he be- to Edwin? He, he bequeathed his skull to Edwin, and he used it in <laughs> frequent, uh, many, many frequent performers. And apparently, I was told, um, there were even two backup skulls from other people who had donated their own skull to oh, Edwin. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> who, are, who are these friends who are like, you know, I just have this abiding affection for you, and I want to give you my skull. <laughs> I mean, if you're, it's like taking like fanship to like the ultimate extreme taylor swift take my bones when i die i'm sure there are plenty of those people (laughs) so let's backtrack a little bit we have a standard question that we like to ask folks that we have in the studio and i'm curious to hear your answer Mm -hmm. i think this will be good 
When you're at a cocktail party, mm-hmm. how do you describe what you do? That's a really good question because I've had to uh, face that in the past few months because uh, I had a, like a day job in the corporate world that I got out of. So I'm literally just a podcaster now. But when you say podcaster, people are, are like, you make money doing that? <laughs> what? <laughs> so um, you have to, or else it's it's like, oh, are you a comedian? You know, I mean, that's there's there's a, a few sort of stereotypes about podcasts. So uh, essentially, I kind of go about it the other way as sort of a uh, sort of historian researcher, mm-hmm. um, and that if I am at a said cocktail party <laughs> with a cocktail, and I say that, then they'll then they'll say, oh, what kind of history? So you know, then it opens up new avenues of conversation. Right. And what well, do you say when they say? what kind of history? Well, then I'll say, you know, New York City history is my focus, but American history is my sort of general interest. And, you know, if we go even further down that rabbit hole, then I'll regale them with stories about the Revolutionary War, which is like (laughs) my personal uh, sort of pet historical uh, era, pretty much. So, um, And by that point, if they're still with me at a cocktail party, <laughs> then I know that they're like nerd, like they're like nerds like that myself. Yes. Nerd, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, what a time to be in New York City and to be a fan of American history and New York City history. Mm-hmm. Then the day after, we're recording this the day after both Hillary Clinton and President-elect Donald Trump had their parties, had their... (laughs) There are lots of facial expressions (laughs) happening in the studio right now. Lots of facial expressions. But both of them had their kind of mass gatherings here in New York. And I think that's the first time that's happened in 70 years. Oh, yeah. Uh, Because sort of back in the day, um, New York had a lot more pull in in national politics. I mean, it still does, obviously. Mm. But I mean, it was a lot more centered here than... Uh, it would almost be sort of a, um, a second DC, especially in the late 19th century. So as a result, a lot of politicians from New York often ran for president, um, or at least were super connected. So... A lot of these types of um, conventions and sort of like after election rallies would be here in New York. In fact, 100 years ago this week, there was another election mm-hmm. and it was um, a Republican Charles Evans Hughes versus Woodrow Wilson. And so Woodrow Wilson got elect- reelected, mm-hmm. but Hughes was a New Yorker. And so he had his sort of like election results party, whatever, um, in Times Square. At the Hotel Astor, which is no longer there anymore. Oh. So, yeah, there's a there's a long tradition of it, I have to say. You know, weirdly um, enough, there's a Bowery Boys episode about Donald Trump. So now I'm thinking, oh, do, really? do, I, do I need to take it down? Like, am I, am I going to get, like, thrown no. in jail? Yeah, no. Yeah, <laughs> leave, leave it up. That's what I say. Keep and it. it was recorded five years ago. It was recorded when he was flirting with the idea of running for president. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the perspective of... I mean, the reason I find his backstory interesting is mostly not because of him, but because of his father. Mm -hmm. And that's how they made their money was by uh, building lower and middle income housing in Queens and Brooklyn. And so you, if you'll go through a typical neighborhood in either of those boroughs, you will stumble into a a Fred Trump house, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I just find it very interesting that that's how they made their money. And then so Donald decides that he just wants to just build wealthy high luxury hotels and casinos. I mean, it's just a, you see the sort of like the mental 
adjustments that mm-hmm. he was making, I guess. That's yeah. his psyche. We could, we could call them acrobatics. <laughs> we could call them gymnastics. <laughs> yeah. Lots of tumbling, twirling. Sure. I mean, I already feel like I've learned so so much just sitting here in these 10 minutes between the skull and between the Hotel Astor. Um, but one of the reasons we brought you in today is because mm-hmm. we wanted to talk about a couple things in New York City history that uh, people don't know and mm-hmm. that you are often surprised to learn that they don't know about. Um, so we set this preliminary list where we said we're going to go over five. Okay, sure. So let's let's do it. Let's let's start that off. Well, let's start with um, a name on everyone's lips right now, Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> uh, Alexander who, Hamilton. Yeah, Who's that? <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, you know, the, uh, the overexposed founding father. Mm-hmm. But um, there's many places, there's many locations in New York City that you can visit that are key to his personality or key to his his life and his history, he's, including the fact that he's buried in Trinity Church and his old house, Hamilton Grange, is up on Hamilton Heights. But what many people don't know is that after he died, Eliza, his wife, moved in with her son and their family in a, a tiny little brownstone. I think this was like in the 1830s on, <clears throat> excuse me, on a street called St. Mark's Place. Mm-hmm. So it's funny because when you say St. Mark's Place, what do you think? I think 1970s, Grunge. 80s, grunge, <laughs> right, punk. In fact, the brownstone uh, for many, many years uh, held the, the store Trash and Vaudeville, which was a uh, vintage clothing, like wacky kind of clothing. And it's just funny that that house has a connection to Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, that house. Live there. Yeah, that house just came on the market and it just sold, mm-hmm. I think, too. It did. Uh, it's I a mean, little piece of history and it's such a different place on St. Mark's than it was <laughs> when the Hamiltons were there. For sure. And I think we could definitely call him our first punk, our punk founding father. Although personally, my favorite founding father, who I always make mention to drop his name, is uh, Governor, G- Governor Morris or Governor Morris. Uh-huh. Um, I could even make this the second point here. because. Please. Why is he your favorite? Uh, because I find him a super intriguing, ubiquitous figure because he was a little bit rotund. He was maybe not the most attractive man in the world, but it was incredibly charming and was a bit of a Lothario. Now, he wrote the words to like the opening line of the Constitution. Like, so he wrote, he was a, like, he literally was there in the process of making um, the Constitution. They were, um, a wealthy family, the Morrises, and their house, their estate was basically in the area of the South Bronx today. So um, what's interesting is like we just recently did a three-part show uh, podcast on the history of the Bronx, and it was just so fascinating to tie – all the kind of craziness that happened in the South Bronx in like the 60s and 70s, but then always with the back of on the back of my mind being like, oh, this used to be the farmland of Governor Morris and Lewis Morris. So, in <laughs> fact, they're buried in the South Bronx, and there's a church there that is a super weird place because it's all overgrown, like they don't have a lot of money. But uh, Governor Morris and his brother Lewis Morris, who were both signers. Um, are buried there. And the only last thing I want to say about Governor Morris is he had a wooden leg (laughs) that was supposedly because he was like, like having a romance with a woman and her husband came home and he jumped out the window and broke his leg. I mean, that's the sort of urban legend of how he got his wooden leg. I feel like that's the kind of thing. That's the kind of story you tell when you want to like, up your Lothario cred. Like, <laughs> I broke my, I have a wooden leg because I, I jumped know. out of my lover's window. 
Yes. So hmm, I, I call the veracity of that that story into question. <laughs> I think it's one of those like like it's just sort of like a time honored urban legend. Right. And there's probably not anything backing it. Right. I mean, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so Very number unique. three, since we're sort of maybe I'm in a presidential mood here. Please. Uh, oh, yeah. I feel like I we probably all are. Yeah. For uh, various reasons. You know, uh, George Washington w- was actually inaugurated here in New York City um, yeah. at the area of uh, Federal Hall. It was a- another building before that. But he was inaugurated here and served for, I think it's a little over, I can never remember, it's like over a year and a half. This was the capital of the United States mm-hmm. before it sort of moved around. Um Anytime George Washington sat down or slept somewhere, there's like a plaque here in New York, like all over the place. But what people don't, and, and even like um, uh, St. Paul's chapels where he worshipped, they have, mm-hmm. they have his pew and everything. But what people may not know is that he actually did live in two different houses in lower Manhattan. And one of them is right next to Bowling Green, uh, okay. the, the little park. Mm-hmm. And then... The second one, the street's actually gone away, but it's at the approach of the Brooklyn Bridge um, on the Manhattan side, right near the water. And are the houses still there? No, they're just they're just plaques. Oh, they're that just are there they're, they're actually just plaques. They, they, those are actually just plaques. But I but what's interesting and what also gets forgotten about that is he had slaves in those houses. So yeah, there's I mean, a little I haven't forgotten. <laughs> yeah, there's a really dark <laughs> like the dark undercurrent to that that sort of gets um I don't think it's even on the plaque, but um, Because God forbid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well cuz the plaques were probably done like 40 years ago right. and like no one thought that that would be interesting even though to me it's the most interesting. Listen, part of New those York, things. it's time to revisit your plaques. <laughs> Now, my fourth uh, factoid also involves another president, a mediocre president, um, named Chester A. Arthur. (laughs) So... Um, he became, he was the vice president of James Garfield and Garfield was, um, was shot and it took several months, but he, he died, I think three months after he was, uh, a shot in an attempted assassination. And so he died really quickly and they had to, um, do a swearing in for, for Chester A. Arthur here, um, who no one really loved. Um, so, uh, the place where he was sworn in is this little brownstone. Um, you know, the area where all those Indian restaurants are near in Murray Hill, mm-hmm. like Karina hurry. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. It's yeah. good. It's some great food. It's a there. great spot. <laughs> they, one of those, I can't remember the name of the restaurant, but one of them is on the ground floor of the building where Chester A. Arthur was sworn in in 1881. And there's a plaque there too, but you have to kind of look for it because it's not it's it's it seems like sort of a plain building one of a million buildings in New York City but it has this very unique uh, connection to American history and I do love that it has become that you know that space has become this hub of immigrant life in New York City oh I love I it, say yes. that that is a beautiful metaphor for just the trajectory of things in this country yes. <laughs> nicely done yes, thank you well said. and then finally um i thought we'd go back to the very beginning by heading all the way up north in manhattan to the spot alleged spot because i mean again it's one of these old legends um where peter minuet who was the director general of new amsterdam which was the precursor of new york bought and i'm using quotes mm-hmm. bought the biggest the biggest air quotes <laughs> <laughs> bought 
Manhattan from the Indians. Now, uh, believe it or not, you can go to the alleged spot where this happened. There's a there's a rock um, in Inwood Hill Park, um, which is this glorious treasure up at the very, 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 very northern end. It's the only patch of natural forest that exists in Manhattan. So like the trees that were there are, you know, are related mm-hmm. to the trees that were once there. Um, and there's a little rock there that marks the spot where an old tulip tree uh, used to sit. And that tulip tree, underneath the branches of the tulip tree, is where they bought New York now, from the is Indians. This, is this the trade that happened with a couple glass beads? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, it's a, what's interesting is that it doesn't appear that Either party really knew like the terms of the or conditions of the other. You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, meaning that like Peter Minuet, like and uh, the Dutch thought that they were literally buying something, um, but uh, the native people, the land, were like, well, we don't own it. It's almost like they were sort of leasing it in a way. It's the closest uh, comparison, mm-hmm. but um, you know, as we as what turned out, the. Um, the, Europe's, the Europeans and their uh, interpretation of that uh, prevailed. We're being mm. so diplomatic. Look at us. <laughs> yeah. Pats on the back all around. <laughs> wow, I didn't really, I mean, you're right. I didn't really, all of these points have a, a new meaning today than they had 24 hours ago, don't they? Yeah, truly. They do. <laughs> so, so, Greg, um, Bowery Boys put out their first book earlier this mm-hmm. year, um, and that is called Adventures in Old New York. And we also hear you're working on another little project. Yeah, so the the new Bowery Boys spin-off project has begun. There's two episodes out. It's called The First Stories of Inventions and Their Consequences. Ooh. So I like like a robust title. Yeah. Who needs this <laughs> when you could go for robustness? <laughs> well, it's like you know, the first in big letters and that's the in the subtitle. But okay. but but what but the reason the subtitle is important is it's not specifically about like, oh, this is the invention of photography. But so in the second episode, it's about the first woman who was ever photographed. Ever. So it's from the perspective of the people who were effect- immediately inf- affected by those inventions. A future episode will be about the first person who was ever killed by a car. Huh? So it's like about the sort of like the uh, all the unintended effects and consequences of inventions. What informs these episodes? Where are you pulling the information from? So there, so there, a lot of them are set in New York, but this was this show is per. per- purposely designed to break out of New York when mm-hmm. it needs to be because it's just I want to start talking about other things outside of the borders. Um, so for the first two episodes, I also put like a, a, a different kind of research into these that I have time to do on the Bowery Boys when you're producing two shows a week. But these two shows I've been planning for months. And so the first episode is about the invention of the Ferris wheel, mm. which ultimately is a very, very tragic story about oh, its inventor. No. Um, but I got—is it like Segway? Huh? <laughs> I said, is it like the Segway? Oh no, 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 no! Oh, I don't know that story. The, uh, there's a rumor, or maybe it is true, that the the guy who invented he Segways died on died a Segway. On segway. Oh, no, Ferris didn't die. Well, he indirectly died because of his Ferris wheel. He didn't die on the Ferris wheel, but the he had racked up so many debts. 
because of it, and he could never pay them back. And the World's Fair of 1893, they kind of screwed him over. So, Ooh. I mean, and then his health got really terrible, and then his wife left him. I mean, it's like the strangest thing. And then he had all these lawsuits. So it's like the unintended consequences of being the first is sometimes not a good thing, mm. essentially. So um, just going weaving in and out of American history with whatever stories I find uh compelling like and I don't want them to all to be downers either so the next episode um, is going to be about the very first TV dinner oh. <laughs> because which is like a little bit more lighthearted I suppose although really it's a story about how people moved away from their dining room dining room tables to eating in front of the TV alone. So, I mean, it's like, it's really what the story so is. We're making progress away from total downer <laughs> to just like medium. Just, just a medium, a little, medium a little, a slightly downer. <laughs> right. But it's also sort of interesting because the TV dinner is, was, was invented, was a sort of like evolution from like the airline, like airline food e- industry had just started a couple years before because of course there weren't that many airplanes. And so the, actually the person who invented the, um, uh, the TV dinner was a young woman in her 20s. And so it's kind of an interesting story, yeah. her story of how that, you know, it, and sort of what this means as a symbol. So, you know, so the, it'll go in and out of New York. I mean, New York is definitely my wheelhouse. And so many of the stories will be set in New York. The, this one about the uh, first photograph of a woman, it was taken, her, that photo was taken on a rooftop at Washington Square oh. at the old first building at NYU wow. was on the rooftop. So I have a bit of a meta question. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to get too meta today, but um, <laughs> what is it about podcasting and, and audio journalism as a medium that is so enticing right now in this moment, like in the culture overall, and then to you personally? Mm-hmm. I think one thing that's quite appealing about a podcast versus just like turning on the radio and listening to somebody, although it does happen on the radio too, is you develop a very personal relationship with the people uh, on the other end because you're listening to them whenever you want to. So it's like, or when, you know, so you listen to your podcasts at these moments when you want to hear these voices and you tend to develop these relationships. Um, with listeners who are like, oh, I you you know you follow me on my commute every day, or like every time I'm at the gym, or I ran a marathon and I listened to four of your shows or whatever. Um, so usually at these moments where they're sort of, you know, they're either going from one place or the other, or they're relaxing. So you, they develop a relationship mm. with you, mm-hmm. and so it's. Uh, yeah, with the Bowery Boys, what we find is very interesting is there's sort of two layers. There's people who like. New York. Well, there's three layers, actually. There's people who like New York. There's people who like history. And then there's people who like us. And, like, there's certain people. We get comparisons sometimes of, like, car talk. (laughs) Because people will say, well, actually, I'm not really interested in history at all. But I just enjoy hearing you two speak because it sounds like you're sitting at a bar talking and we're listening to a pleasant conversation. So there's an an immediacy with podcasting that is is just not quite equatable in other mediums. Um, so, th- I th- you know, and because now there have been so many big shows and people are really p- pouring effort into podcasts now, um, I'll be interested in seeing h- how that relationship with the listeners uh, keeps going now that there are more and more podcasts out there for people to listen to. So, um, and yeah, and generally speaking... 
honey, we've been doing this for over nine years, which is insane. Yeah, that's amazing. So back in 2007, I mean, I'm just, I don't know and where my mind was. How do we, how do we come up with this idea in 2007 when there were, there were no models in which to do this? I mean, I guess, again, going back to the car talk model, and there were certainly a couple other things like that, that we must have listened to and been like, oh, we'll just be two guys talking about this thing. But, you know, we weren't really sure that that was the best way to sell history. But we've, you know, we've definitely made a mark and people have, you know, definitely responded to it. And meanwhile, the first is actually not, it's just, it's just me. So it's a different kind of production model where it's a little bit more, there's music and special effects and slightly more dramatic. It's almost radio drama because Mm. I bring in people to, like if I, if I have a letter from somebody, I have I bring in like uh, an actor or another podcaster Must to those dramatic awesome. readings. <laughs> yeah, yes. I don't know what that voice was. That was pathetic. So no, a, I liked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll have one for you next time, and that'll be if you if you do. Oh my god, do I'll a little try, Greg. I'll bring my best Adele voice. Oh, thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> well, we like to uh, wrap up our shows on this little segment called Thunder Round, and it's called that because it's a little slower than the lightning round. Okay, and it's also a recurring joke that we have to explain it every single time. Time, right? right, yeah. But <laughs> we do. A, a little slower than a lightning round. Um, so the first question there this time around is, uh, what is your favorite place in New York City? Oh, gosh. Jeez. Starting with the hard-hitting questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, my favorite place. So I guess a place that, that I gravitate towards. Um, I have to probably say, and this is like a very broad answer. I apologize. But I... Like love walking along the waterfront from the Lower East Side, from like Corlears Hook. So basically, we're from like where the Williamsburg Bridge is, just wandering all the way down to the tip of the island. Um, it's just very be- historic area. Yeah, and it's like uh, it, there's lots of history, but then there's lots of uh, it's shielded. So if it's rainy, and you also get to see all the bridges, and there's just so much movement and activities, and you're going through. Um, it's just weird. It's not like I, it's not the kind of thing I would necessarily tell a tourist to do because if I if they wanted to do that kind of thing, I would have them like walk up the uh, the Hudson side because it's a little bit more breathtaking. Right, Riverside Park is so dramatic, yeah, and beautiful. And right. but this is just I, I, you know I lived in the Lower Side for ten years, so. Um, I have that's my soft spot, so I go back there sometimes. I love that answer. Yeah, I'm gonna have to do that walk at some point. <laughs> yeah, me soon. too. I don't it, think I've done it. it. It works, especially if it's like if it's like around like seven o'clock at night and all the lights are on, and you know it's sixty degrees. <laughs> you have a light sweater on, and there's a light, slight breeze off of the the fetid East River. Yes, <laughs> exactly. That's the most romantic way I've ever heard anything around the East River <laughs> described. Yeah, the word fetid has never sounded more alluring. Than it did just now, <laughs> oh, good, so. good. Okay, um, so. Obviously, we we all love New York here, but is there a global city that you think rivals New York or where you would be willing to relocate? Hmm. Um, I do have to say, when I researched this Ferris wheel show, I really did like Chicago. I mean, I hadn't been there forever. Um, I thought I thought Chicago's fantastic. Now, huh, that's a good question. I might have a few years ago said San Francisco, but I... I not any longer. But I things mean, have changed. Things, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually, I had a huge crush on Berlin for like four or five years. And I went like, I went, I think like once a year. And people were like, there are other cities in Europe. But I was like, I just had the right amount of like history and culture. But there was also this weird, almost like 
this dull edge of sadness behind it, which was very appealing to me at the time. Mm. I thought I think it was a very beautiful city, and also because this was was like the late '90s when he started going. I mean, they were still like taking down the wall in some places. I mean, it was like a forest of construction cranes because a lot of things were just being built. I mm-hmm. mean, I haven't been back in many years. I sh- I'm sure I wouldn't even recognize it. But I mean, that was a city that's always been. I've never been. I really want to go though. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, no, nor have I. It's pretty amazing. So, um, as Asad just mentioned, we all, of course, love New York City. Um, do you have a favorite movie that takes place in our fair city? Um, After Hours by Martin Scorsese. Um, oh, I can't remember the one. can't remember the I year. Seen it? Nineteen eighty. Uh, okay, I'm gonna. I can't remember the year. 1980, 1981, 1982. One of those years. Um, it is set in Soho. So Soho in the early '80s. If you can picture that, a little bit desolate and war torn, but like very mysterious. War torn. It's about one night. It's about a guy who goes down there um, and ends up getting caught up in this wild. Um, Fantasia, where he meets various people. Rosanna Arquette is in it. Uh, Terry Garr is in it. It's it's, it's because it's just weird. And it's also, you know, Martin Scorsese has a lot of films set in New York City. But this one is so unconventional, very atypical of the rest of his work. So I like that as one of my favorites. I mean, there's like, you know, I could, there's a million. I mean, there's the... um, there's a movie called The Naked City from the 1950s. It was a black and white. It was the first film where large-scale on-location mm. sets were done. So it's it's while it's not like perhaps the best film noir ever, it's like there's one whole like, shootout on the Williamsburg Bridge with like mm-hmm. the guy like climbing the wires. But Amazing. it's like it's like the bridge. It's not like in a it's not in a studio. It's That's, great. You wouldn't be able to do that these days. No, no, <laughs> that probably not. Great. Probably not. That sounds great. Those are two good ones. I haven't seen either, so now I have some homework. Oh, yeah. I think After Hours, you'll like that. It's okay. fun. Yeah. Really yeah, fun. I need something to watch tonight, so hopefully it's on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I have one one other question for you. This is kind of a weird one, but do you have a favorite anachronism about New York that appears in a movie? Hmm. An anachronism. We about... thought you would be the right person to answer this question. <laughs> well, as I give it some more thought, I do remember... I did, Modern Family. They just went to New York, like mm. for like the, their season finale. Air quotes on New York. There, yeah, because it was like the weirdest mixture of like, wait, that all of those things aren't together. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> exactly. They're not in that space together. Yeah. Um, I guess. Oh, here's a fun one: Ghostbusters Two. Oh yes. Um. The, so the, the the recent one. Well, the, no, no, actually, oh, no, the, the sequel. Yeah, right, right. Oh, yeah, the sequel. God, to, I forgot about I know, that. Can goodness. you believe it was a sequel? Right. <laughs> um. There's a really interesting but completely like far-fetched scene where they have to be kind of lowered into the su- into the subway into the sewer because there's <laughs> goo it's like like uh-huh. as, right. as ectoplasmic goo and he like gets lowered and there's a sign that says beaches pneumatic tube 1870 and this was the new york's very first subway um that was blown by like pneumatic. It was an air. T- it was wind tunnel, and they right. basically blew the car back and forth. That's amazing. But of course, that scene was set in the, the Upper East Side, and th- that was only a block long, and it was down by City Hall. So it was like <laughs> both the like that didn't happen, and also like wow, someone did do their research though on on the right. staff. They just you know? didn't quite finish the research. <laughs> <laughs> they just took broad strokes. They right. read they read about it in a book and said, "We'll just move it up here on the right. Upper East Side." Yeah, they got halfway there. <laughs> a, uh, maybe like a C minus forever. 
burnt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say, yeah. Solid C minus. Solid C minus. This is a weird thing, but I, I, I grew up in New York City in part um, in Harlem and took the nine a lot mm-hmm. as a kid. And my th- my weird thing is when trains that no longer run are featured in modern day movies, mm-hmm. like it's like, yeah, I got to get on the nine on my way to such and such. And it's like the movie takes place in the present day. And you're like, the nine <laughs> doesn't run anymore. And, and that's actually, such a snob, yeah. it's a, such a such a snobby New York thing to be concerned about. But, but, but it's real. Mov- they, movies always get it wrong. And it's so easy to get right that I, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. So. Get it together, filmmakers. <laughs> Please, exactly. Snap. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for coming in no, and regaling is, us. This, this has is been, really great. Yes, been thank a, you, Greg. This has been a pleasure, especially, you know, it's, it's taken our minds off of things for a few minutes, it I did. hope. so. It, it did. <laughs> so if folks want to find more of you and your work, where can they do that? Well, you can go to BarryBoysHistory.com, which is the the blog for our podcast. If you want to listen to the, either the Barry Boys or the first, you can find that at iTunes, Stitcher, basically anywhere you can listen to a podcast except for Spotify, but we're working on that. Everywhere else, though, you can get podcasts. You can find those. You can find them. Uh, we have like a trillion shows in the Barry Boys feed, including that show on Donald Trump, if anyone's interested. Yeah. Dig through the archives, y'all. Yes. <laughs> exactly. It's worth it. Well, thanks again. We really appreciate no, it. No, thank this you. Awesome. Thank you. Cheers. That was the final episode of this season of The Curved Appeal. Thank you for listening. Thank you. You may have noticed that one voice has gone uh, unheard for the last few episodes, and that is our beloved Jeremiah Budin, who left Curved after four years to try something new. We're very happy for him. If you want to catch up with us while we are in our off-season, find us at The Curved Appeal on Twitter, and you can always go back and re-listen to our archives at Curb.com. And if this is the first episode you've listened to, please do subscribe in iTunes to get all of the previous episodes that we've recorded. You can also find us in the podcast section of the Spotify app and on SoundCloud at Curbed Radio. Bye.